0: We started this podcast because we just realized there were a lot of really early stage founders who were either project owners or had already taken some funding, but either their company was based on open source or they were trying to figure out how to use open source. And there was just like a lot of open questions around how to actually use open source to like as the basis for building a company or use it afterwards and open source certain features or functionality to try and um, To try and like leverage a community or uh or just like use it as part of a strategy so we're like okay why don't we talk to some folks who have done this successfully and um use that to help other earlier stage project owners or founders uh like be more successful when using open source
1: that's awesome yeah that sounds great
2: yeah and plus your new company isn't even open source anymore so
1: that's right yeah yeah, i was (laughs) i was talking to my wife about that this morning and she's like so they want to talk to you on an open source podcast about your closed source business. Like, this is like, this doesn't just go away. This doesn't make any sense to me, but, well, um,
2: I, I think it makes the conversation even more interesting. Right. Like, I, I agree do
1: you to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah so, so that's, definitely.
2: That's actually a pretty interesting
1: thing to chat about. So cool. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's jump in.
0: Cool. Actually. So I'm going to throw in the first question then. So, um, was it a conscious decision to have a closed source company because of. Scar tissue from having an open source based company.
1: Yeah, a bit, a bit. So I don't know how much you know about the kind of the origin story of, of influx data. Um, but we started it, it was actually in, in all the times I've talked about this, it's been a lot more like the Docker story where there was, there was a a company like for Docker, it was dot cloud for influx DB. We had a a SaaS product we built called airplane, which is what we went to Y Combinator with was a SaaS product. It was, you know, it was not open source. And, um, you know, coming out of YC and talking to customers, we'd made the decision to pivot away from the SAS product and work on, you know, ostensibly a time series database. Like there's kind of, we hadn't really thought about it quite like that when we were building it for the, uh, for the SAS product. But you know, we were building a, like a closed source time series database to power the SAS product. And InflexDB was sort of the, like, hey, this seems way more interesting than the other thing that we had been building like, let's just put this out there and see what happens. And I think that was very similar to what happened with Docker. You know, they built this technology as part of their other company and put it out there and it became, you know, immediately far more popular. It was it was clear that they should focus on that. Um, so for InflexDB, you know, we we kind of uh, put it out there because we thought it was something that was interesting to us, was interesting to um, a lot of people who had been early customers of, of Airplane, of the SaaS product. Um, and we really just said, like, let's build this in a way that you know, is developer friendly. Let's make it tooling that people want to use to build products on top of. Um, and so we put it out there without really having a clear business model. You know, we didn't really say, "Here's the strategy, here's the playbook, let's go do it." We said, "Well, we don't know exactly what to do, but let's open source this and see where it goes." And that's kind of the that that was like step number one down a, a path of of like a lot of bumps. And I think you know, ultimately, it's it's seen as a a successful open source project and you know, has a company or builds around it that's successful. Um, although I, I think success in open source is on a, there's a continuum <laughs> It's a, a very wide spectrum of what success looks like. Um, but I think, yeah, having seen, you know, how it went from our original vision, which was to open source InflexDB, including clustering, like really open source, the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, we ended up sort of retreating on that original promise because we got to a place where the open source version did everything anybody would want. And the only, the only place we saw for revenue was, you know, support contracts essentially, which is not, not a great path. It's not great subscription revenue. It's, it's just, you know, not for, there are a lot of reasons why it's not great. And so we ended up pulling out the clustering, pulling out the HA um, to make the influx enterprise product. But I think through that, we, <clears throat> we had a lot of damage done in the, Sort of open source developer community, there was a lot of internal struggle. Some of our existing customers weren't happy about that because they either they or their development teams were really um, really wanted to be using a product that was pure open source and I think that struggle right there was you know it changed a lot of a lot of company dynamics, but it also made it clear that you know you either um, have to find a way to, to hold something back that makes makes an enterprise product valuable. Um, or or find some other way. Maybe that's cloud. Maybe that's something like that. But you either, it, it's very difficult to have an enterprise business that's built on a pure open source product. And I think that, um, yeah, that that was sort of, the, from that experience was a lot of the scar tissue as you described it that kind of led me to say, well, this time around, let's try not doing open source. Because I, I think I, I could imagine some ways that you could do, you could still build a successful business differently and not necessarily have to have it be open source.
2: Yeah, that's... That's, that's one of the tough challenge of, of open source projects, turning into enterprise companies, right? Um, so I think maybe uh, uh, since our, our target audience is actually people who are trying to do open source based companies, Yep. Um, you know, <laughs> and I think what Influx does seems to be really well and it's kind of similar for the doc cloud to Docker transition, right? Doc, Docker took off, right? Um, from yep. a community point of view and every open source uh, based founder Right. That's still growing their OSS community is trying to make that same effect, you know, wrap the gate, grow really fast. Right. And then, you know, raise money and do business. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know exactly how influx open source, what does that progression look like? But it seemed like it went pretty fast too. So what did you guys do in the early days from, from airplane going to influx as open source projects? Did you just throw it on GitHub and it it went viral? Like just what happened in the early days to make it actually grow so fast?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, I, I think, yeah, basically it was like throw it on GitHub was where we started. So we kind of had said, you know, let's try and build this out out in the open. Like let's kind of, for, for the things that don't exist yet, let's document it and kind of have an API design. Um, so I think for the from the very beginning, um, and I think it was probably... October and November 2013, and we kind of had like the first commits for the open source project. Um, but yeah, the, the goal was just like make it make it open so that people could see what we were doing. And then I wouldn't necessarily say it went viral per se, but we you know we leveraged Hacker News pretty significantly and put it out there and just kind of got people excited. Um, I think it was it was a good time for that project, that type of project, because you know most of the people that we talked to who are like thinking about time series were using something like Graphite. So it was kind of like a, you know, an older technology, like Graphite came out in like, what, 2008. And it was it was it was a very different way of thinking about um, metrics and time series. And so I think at the time, really, our bigger competitors were like, you know, K, K, KX, KDB, things like that, that were more in the FinTech world. And I think OpenTSDB might've been there, but you had to run HBase for that. So there weren't a lot of like, um, standalone, easy to use time series databases. So I think in that sense, we we found that we, got a lot of just resonance in the developer community. I'd, I'd say that was, you know, similar to Docker again, I think that was, that's probably like a good first step. And and actually for, it's triggered a memory. The, when we were in Y Combinator, I think in the class before us were the guys that did Segment and they had originally started building, I actually don't remember what the project was initially, but they had open sourced Segment.js and uh, that, you know, that thing alone got them enough traction that they said, let's build a business around this. And, you know, initially at the time, and I, they, they may have told this story elsewhere, but I remember us, them telling us back in 2013, that one of their original seed investors asked for his money back when he, when they, when they pivoted away from whatever they were building originally to the segment platform. And he was like, this isn't what we discussed. Like, and, and I, I mean, in hindsight, terrible, terrible decision, right? Cause they just got acquired for. Three four billion dollars, um, and um, but I think it was it was similar. Like they kind of like put this thing out there in the open source and said, like let's let's let the developer community decide. Like if you know, not not that GitHub stars are like the end all be all of popularity or utility, but they're a good they're a good proxy. Like if you're getting people looking at it, if you're getting people willing to put stars on it, um, it's it's a good metric for whether or not there's a need there. And I think for us, like um, you know, probably within. I don't know, five or six months. We we we'd like crossed over the thousand star threshold. Maybe it was even less than that. It might have been three months. So I think we saw some of that traction and activity early on, and I think that was a good good indicator for us that we were going on the right path. Because it was still it was still quite a while before we really had um, you know stable, usable versions of InfluxDB. But we still had interest along the way. Um, yeah. So I would say that that was kind of what it was for us is just that we saw that GitHub interest, you know, we kept, we kept posting blog posts or whatever on Hacker News, and they kept generally getting pretty, pretty favorable uh, responses. And I think that kind of told us we were on the right path.
0: Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask about success metrics because GitHub stars is one way to measure it, but um, it's, is that the be all and end all that you guys were measuring monitoring? You're looking at pull requests? Like, how did you, what metrics were you driving towards to say, okay, we're going to deem this as successful? and resonating with the open source community and like what were the actual numbers to target because i think there's just a lot of confusion and on the investor side you hear companies pitch all the time like i've x stars in github and it's like okay how do you actually take that data and know whether or not it actually means success
1: yeah and i i think it's i think you know whatever what i say was end of 2013 so i think the metrics are probably a little bit skewed but i would say for us like the first thousand stars i think we're we're i remember like Watching that really closely and seeing like when it rolled over from like 999 to a thousand, like that was a a big, big moment for us. Um, I think maybe at the time MongoDB might have had like 5,000 stars, something along those lines. And I think that was kind of our like, okay, well, that's that's the thing that we're aiming for. If we get 5,000 stars, you know, we'll be we'll be huge. And I think at one point we even joked like, uh, how much how much valuation is a star worth? Like, you know, if MongoDB is worth a billion dollars and they've got 5,000 stars, like, you know, do the math and, uh, you know, we can we can imply a valuation based on that. Um, obviously, always joking. But I think there, there's sort of that, like, you know, there are like the the thresholds, like 1,000, 5,000, 10,000. I think those still apply. Obviously, there are projects that have been around for so long now that they've got tens of thousands of stars, just, just as a kind of a virtue of their longevity. Um, but I do think it's, you know, even when you're a developer grabbing a new tool, like if you see something that has under a hundred stars, you're like, ah, this probably isn't something that's stable enough or used enough for me to really depend on it. Um, so I would say that the kind of those thresholds probably still exist to some extent. Like once you hit that first thousand stars, I feel like there's some sort of um, a respect that, that gets bestowed upon those kinds of projects. And I think that's probably something that will always be there just from a I don't know, psychological perspective as people, people look at your project and look at your company.
2: Yeah, got it. And so I knew you already talked about this where like influx, you know, build too much open source, <laughs> a lot less like enterprise sort of product features up front, And that was a struggle. Uh, I guess just thinking back because we're all the OS's founders are, is struggling about this, right? They raised some money, uh, based on the traction. And next step is trying to figure out what to do with this, right? Um, how do you build an enterprise products and the open source at the same time? Uh, I guess just thinking back what you guys tried, um, what works well? Because you talk about a little bit of things that didn't work well, but is there anything that worked well in the early days? To try to build that enterprise product, you know, auto influx. You know, was was there any learnings or things that you help you guys figure out like what we even try to sell in the first place, right? And and things like that.
1: Yeah, and I think so when we, like, as I said, initially, we really open-sourced everything. Like there was a single repo and we kind of put everything out there. Um, and it was probably, I don't know, it was probably the middle of the following year. So maybe the project was eight months old or so. Um, I started building just like a, a really simple like Rails application to deploy like a cloud version of InfluxDB. And we probably spent all of two weeks on it before it was like up and running. It was just using Stripe for credit card payments. It was really simple. Um, and that was kind of our, that was the first thing that we really did that we thought was gonna generate any significant kind of revenue. Um, and that wasn't, once again, it wasn't like a fully baked strategy of like, you know, we're gonna do, you know, pure open source and do all cloud. Um, but that was kind of the first thing that we said is like, if people want to use this, let's just let them have it for, I think we hosted it on DigitalOcean. So, our, you know, a container, like the smallest VM you could get was like five bucks a month. So I think we just said, let's let people run, you know, the smallest, instance that will reasonably handle InfluxDB and just you know mark it up and do do the management for them so i think with that we were able to quickly get to a place where we could see that there was some value there and even at that point there were people who asked for you know multi multi multi-node influx installations and we could tell that they were you know using it for some sort of like production-ish deployment and i think through that we were able to see that there there was kind of a subset of users that wanted clustering and wanted to be able to benefit from the either the scale or the replication um so i think being able to see that told us that that market was there but we still at that point didn't really have um you know a strategy for reaching those enterprise users it was you know just monetizing additional nodes in the cloud it wasn't really anything more sophisticated than that um so i think the 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 things that i think we did well were you know getting that out in front of users relatively quickly so that they could um have a quick way to give us some amount of money. Um, another thing that we did at one point, I think probably when it was too early for us to really do it well as a, as an organization was, we just made a, we put a little button on the website somewhere that you could just pay. It's like 500 bucks a month or something like that and get like a developer support subscription. Um, but give people ways to, to give you, just give you money and get some sort of relatively quick interaction with the product. Um, because we'd we'd also talked to one company that was using InflexDB early on, and they sort of, like, they almost forced us to take money for a support subscription because they wanted to deploy it into production, and their company essentially had a policy that, like, any any software that goes into production has to have a support agreement. And so I think some things like that for, for companies that are getting started early, if you start to see that traction and start to see open source users, you know, coming to your Slack channel asking you for help, just have some sort of, like, you know low low tech way of giving them the ability to, to do that stuff because I, I think it it serves two purposes one it gives you a way to like gauge gauge their willingness to pay and give give you some some sort of revenue but also kind of opens up that dialogue it lets you start to get a commercial relationship going with them you know for us there were a lot of things that 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 support contract kicked off which was like you know we had to get insurance we had to have all these things that their their company required to add us as a vendor And I think it it kind of forced us to mature a little bit in that way. And it's something that we otherwise wouldn't have undertaken if there hadn't been kind of a catalyst for it. So I think, um, you know, and those aren't, I think it's, it's important to separate the like, like short-term quick wins, like support contracts and things like that, that I think can kind of just help you connect with your customers from the like longer term strategy. And I think that's, that's a place where we did have some of those things that worked well initially, whether it's, you know, a quick cloud product or, a support contract, but we didn't actually, nobody was taking on that role of sort of like formalizing those as like, here are our products, here are the tiers of support plans, here are the things we want to offer. And I think that was something that kind of ended up holding us back because we, we just sort of ended up at one point having to say, okay, we don't know what, like we, we've raised more money and we just said, okay, now we have to come up with a, a revenue strategy. And I think it was, um, I think we sort of did it later than we ought, ought to have. Um, and as a result, I think it felt to the community and maybe rightly so that we just sort of said too bad you can't have clustering anymore we're taking it away and I think if we'd made it a little bit more of a of an intentional rollout and sort of phased it and said you know reach out to the community for support and just kind of done a little bit more um, a little bit more planning I think it could have it could have gone a little bit more smoothly Um, but at the end of the day like it was it was something that was able to generate revenue like moving to a closed source clustering model did actually create a product that was able to to generate a significant amount of revenue.
0: And when you made that transition to starting um, to focus more on monetization, did you need different people on the team? Um, like, was there like a new like revenue lead hire or somebody you used to just kind of build out that strategy since it was different from how you were thinking about it before?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. We we actually had brought on a VP of sales. Um, Man, I'm trying to remember the timeline. I, I'm gonna guess that it was probably six months or so before we made that that transition. So for a little bit of timeline, we, um, InflexDB open source, like kind of, uh, was started around, you know, November, 2013. And it was probably about a year later that we closed a series A um, with Mayfield and Trinity that was based pretty much purely on, uh, on open source traction. There really wasn't, um, you know, we didn't really have any significant amount of revenue. We had we'd launched that cloud product, which was, I think, an interesting direction, but it was maybe doing, I don't know, a few hundred dollars a month in revenue. It was, it was not, not significant, not significant enough to drive any kind of a VC investment. Um, and so I think kind of on the back of that Series A, we did see that we needed to build out some sort of a, of a sales team, whether it's you know, enterprise or... Um, I don't think we were thinking about the cloud strategy as aggressively as then as, as they certainly are now. So I think it was our VP of sales who was kind of there through the initial phases of trying to sell open source software to customers. Um, which I think, you know, he he found very frustrating (laughs) because it was, you know, the question of like, what am I paying you for? came up often. Um, and so I think there were some of those support type contracts that came, came together. And I think there was a little bit more maturity around that, but that probably still would have been early 2015, something like that. And, um, yeah, I think, he, I think he did struggle, but I think he was around once that transition started to happen, where we moved towards a um, you know, closed core type model or um, where, there, where there were definitely things that we could hold back from open source and, and make part of the commercial agreement.
0: And when you were building out the strategy on how to monetize, were there certain models or companies that you looked at and said, okay, I think they did it really well, they were super thoughtful? Um, Because I, it feels like that's where a lot of really early companies struggle is they just, there's not a really well fleshed out roadmap on how to actually do this properly.
1: Yeah, I think that, well, so honestly, I think we, I think it did create a significant amount of internal conflict because we also didn't see a lot of good examples for this. You know, everybody had talked about, um, you know, obviously like Elastic was kind of ahead of us in terms of maturity um, same thing with, with Mongo and I, I think um, we didn't really see a clear strategy that either one had adopted that was necessarily like the thing that made them successful aside from just being there early and being really aggressive with marketing. Um, and so I, I think we, we struggled to find that, that same balance um, and as a result, I think we kind of got to the place where we basically said, what's the thing that we can, what, what's the thing that's technically feasible, you know, without having to rewrite an entire product. Uh, So I think that was kind of step one. And for us, we saw a way to um, essentially like just drop the, drop the code that made it possible for nodes to communicate with each other. And then we just kind of had a single standalone and then we could, you know, move that, the, you know, coordination and clustering code into another product that would sort of, you know, load the single, single node version. So from that perspective, we were able to like, kind of as a small team, figure out how we were going to accomplish it. And then, you know, in looking at the, The demands of customers, you know, most people, like I said, who were coming to us had some sort of corporate mandate to either have high availability or have scale out or have a support contract. So I think being able to say, you know, if we structure the product in this way, we know that most of the people who are coming to us wanting to give us money for a support contract will also be able to give us money for a, you know, an enterprise product. Um, and so I think that was, that was kind of where it it started for us. We just saw a a way that it should work or could work, you know, logistically and kind of rolled with it. Um, but even still, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think I see a lot of companies that that have done the same, same thing or adopted the same strategy. And, you know, and, and honestly, I've, I've, um, this, this might be too much rumor mill, but I think I've heard. That there have been considerations that Inflex Data to re-open source that clustering code, because now they've moved towards a model where the cloud is becoming a much more important part of the product, um, and so in that sense, the you know the value of holding back that that clustered multi-node version um, has has decreased because it's you know the the c- competitive landscape has changed such that more people are looking at Datadog as the competitor. Um, and fewer people are looking at, you know, these, these traditional, like, on-prem type enterprise data products. And so I think in that way, you know, you're seeing with timescale, yeah, you know, they they've done a bunch of, like, licensing work to try and find ways to open source everything, but still keep it um, keep it out of the hands of, you know, Amazon, Google, Azure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that the cloud is, I think it's strategically, for better or worse, I think people are seeing that as the, the long-term way to monetize. Um, but I think it's also, it's also creating this race to cloudify everything. And I think it's going to be, you know, you, you, see it with, uh, Grafana labs as well. Like they, they kind of kept a more pure open source strategy. And I think they maybe saw, you know, the cloud cloudification. I don't even know if that's a word. They saw the cloudification a little bit more clearly and have just sort of continued to open source new products that enable a new hosted feature within Grafana. And I think that that's been a pretty good strategy. Um, and one that I I think it's a little early to see how it plays out long-term, but I think so far it appears to be working pretty well for them.
2: I feel like every year or every month, there's always going to be a new open source based database coming up, you know, or a company behind it, right? And, you know, we talked a little bit about how to gain traction, uh, just hopefully putting out there and and gaining the community. You you mentioned that you guys originally used supports as your revenue source, right? How would you really consider supports as a revenue source and also building an enterprise product do you think you know should try to try to do as little as possible up until some point then try to use do all enterprise or because i think that's a struggle for a lot of folks that have a popular open source project right people just pay you for support first yep and then yeah you had to shove uh, an enterprise product plan and and tiers on top of it and it's always this weird dance um and I think it's very unnatural for every founder just trying to figure out like what is the right even resources to even or, or timeline to think about this. Like based on your experience now, how would you think about for any other new open source based company that's gaining traction? Now they're getting into commercial. Like, would you advise them to do? How many supports up until certain points, or what's your what's your advice there?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think. Um... Trying to think about how to—it's like a multi-part, multi-part answer to your question. So I think um, as you start launching a new open source project, like let's say, let's say you open source something with with the goal of it becoming a business, um, and you start to see that GitHub traction, and you start to feel like there's there's kind of a pull there. Um, I think it's—I think I see the support um, engagements as a way to, partly as a way to connect you with their customers, but also to find. Customers that can be good design partners because when you're at at the earliest stage of open sourcing a you know Like something as complicated as a database um, there, There are obviously are a million decisions along the way where you can decide to implement Feature X or query language Y or like work with whatever ecosystem and I think having somebody who's really willing to give you like who's willing to bet some portion of their business on your technology and is willing to actually give you enough of their energy for you to be able to to help them to help them get to a place where they're successful i think that's really important so i think picking and choosing those people that you want to do support engagements with is really important um, you don't just want every person who like wants to just tell you what to build you want someone who's really going to try it and use it and give you that feedback um, so i think that's that sort of question answered one part of that question um, there's another open source time series database company called QuestDB. They've been um they've been out for maybe a year and a half or two years. They've been working on it for a while, but it um it kind of started out as one developer and then he brought, you know, somebody else on like a year or two in and they they just went through YC recently. Um but they've done, you know, I think one of the the kind of playbooks is, you know, being really active with your community. And I think they've got a Slack channel um where they, you know, are constantly answering questions and helping people. And I think that's that's something that I mean, I don't think Slack was around when we started and nobody used hip or any of those things really for like developer communities. So we didn't really have like a chat thing set up and maybe we had an IRC channel at one point, but no one, no one really was in it. Um, so I think for us, we, we didn't really do that until later on we had GitHubs. So we looked at GitHub issues and, and things like that to get in touch with people. But I think whatever the, the medium is finding some way to, to be responsive to folks, mm. um, once again, you have to be careful not to get buried too much. I think we did. There was one point where I think GitHub issues on InfluxDB were growing so fast we just could not keep up with them. Like we even had somebody who was kind of trying to be dedicated to staying on top of them every day. Yeah, and he wasn't. He wasn't a developer on the database, so he was like, "I don't know what this means. Like, is this really a bug? How do I even like reproduce this?" And I think that's part of it. And and honestly, it's it's part of the decision to to not go open source is that community engagement can actually be a a huge drain on time and resources so if you you kind of have to be careful how you structure that because i do think it's possible to either get sucked into features that you don't really believe are important part of the core product or you start to to like get drawn towards the allure of like oh you know somebody from mega company x wants us to implement this new feature like you kind of need to weigh that with like well what's the utility for the rest of the community and is that is that customer somebody who we really think is going to make like are they going to make a financial investment to help us build this like what's the relationship there um and so i think another part of it you know in the early stages is just like being being visible and i think you know i obviously go to hacker news because i you know went through yc and that's just sort of my like daily daily post for tech stuff but um you know i think you can definitely see there's there's this kind of like vitality around these new projects where the the founders or, or technical leads are like really excited and they're on like, you know, anytime a time series database comes up, I think Timescale was doing a really good job with this for a while, where it didn't matter who was posting about it, they would hop in and be like, oh, you know, have you looked at Timescale? Like, how many answer questions? And they would just participate in the discussion like any time series databases came up at all. Um, and I think part of that is just a... Um, it lets people know that you you know you guys are alive you're paying attention so really like whatever the whatever the particular arena is that your product exists in I think just find a way it could be Reddit it could be whatever but just find a way to like connect with those folks um, I think we we tried to be pretty active in the Go like the Go language community um, you know whether it was going to conferences or things like that because most of our most of our users were you know developing in Go um, and most of our you know people we wanted to hire we're going to be developing in go obviously so I think being connected to that community as well helps so it doesn't it doesn't matter I guess if it's javascript or rust or whatever I think finding a way to be engaged with that community is also important in the early days
0: and I had a question just about trying to determine what projects could potentially make good companies like what are there certain amounts of traction or certain segments that you say okay those types of projects you can turn into companies versus others you can't, because I think that's one thing that a lot of project owners struggle with is knowing, like, what to even what to look for or what like types of open source projects will people start wanting to like pay for certain features and functionality around.
1: That's a really good question. Um, I think I think there's a a certain amount of like personal pain that like you. As somebody who sits down and decides to create a new open source project, like you don't do it just because, well, some people do it just for fun. And I think they know that they're doing it just for fun. But I think most people sit down to do it to to solve like a genuine pain. Like they've looked around, haven't found it or have tried other things and and didn't like them. Um, and so I think there's that. that's kind of like the first litmus test is like if you really are building this because you think it's something that needs a solution or the pain is significant enough that you're willing to invest, you know, your free time to build this thing. I think that's pretty good. Um, I, I, I would hesitate to like give people too many other like ways to evaluate it because I think some of the most successful open source projects, like most people did not think by any measure that they were going to turn into successful companies. I think going back to, you know, segment, like they were just kind of trying to make this thing for, for their previous company and they ended up open sourcing and it just kind of exploded. It wasn't, they didn't have this vision to become segment the company. Um, and I think, you know, also if you look at Docker, like maybe maybe in some sense that was more obvious that it would become a, or had the potential to become a bigger technology. But I think then it missed the, um, they kind of missed the, like the monetization strategy. Do you know what I mean? Like they raised so much money and had so much potential, probably turned on multiple acquisition offers because they they felt that there was a lot of upside and then you didn't didn't end up getting to a place where they could translate that into a meaningful business. So I think it's um yeah, I think the the biggest thing is honestly if you if you start to put an open source project out there and you get a lot of reception, that's generally a good sign. And I think it's, you know, I think even um you know, going back to Grafana again, you know, it started out as just a fork of another project, right? It wasn't even a new project, but it was taking a different spin on Kibana, making it useful for other other types of databases and things like that than just Elasticsearch. Um, and that was one of those like, you know, torkel had a frustration, forked it, made it his own thing. And now it is here it is like, I don't know, that that was around the same time that we were working on InflexDB as well. Um, but, you know, so seven years later, it's, it's just become its own, it's a whole new product. It's been a completely rewritten from the ground up. It's got multi, multiple other things. There's a, a cloud business behind it. And I think a lot of that stuff just didn't exist as even a, a consideration in the early days. It took quite a while before it really turned into the company that it is now. So I think, I think there's a lot to be said for evolution of open source projects as more and more people get involved in them. And I think the opportunities don't even become clear until much later on.
2: Cool. Um, so going back to your current company, right? Yes. It's closed source, it's no longer open source based. Uh, in my mind, I was thinking like, there's there's definitely gonna be pros and cons of doing mm-hmm. it open source versus closed source, right? And you kind of talked about a little bit throughout the, the, the chat, but I guess since you're choosing closed source, I, I guess in your opinion, why, what made you make that choice? Uh, and also what are, you know, what are the things you'll be missing out from open source? Um, and yeah, I guess we can start from there because I'm curious to see how you leverage this closed sourceness, because uh, what are the pros for it, right? It sounds yep. like we're you're, just you're and, and that kind of thing.
1: Yep. So, um, the, I, guess, so on, on the, I guess, first of all, the, the sort of idea is um, about, about closed source versus open source is that you know I, I've seen a lot of places where uh, open source did not end up being you know, a net benefit to the company in, in a lot of ways and whether it's you know InfluxDB db or it's docker or, you know some other company there have been a lot of times where open source just didn't scale to a successful business so i don't think it's necessarily um uh the right way for every business to be built and i think when we were working on era um a lot of the a lot of the things that we were trying to do we felt were um different enough that we we didn't immediately want them to be out, out in the open to be something that, I mean, obviously there are, everyone's got this sort of persistent fear of cloud provider X taking their stuff and making a bunch of money off of it. Like Amazon's been really successful with that, you know, whether it's um, Elasticsearch, they've got their like their document DB thing, like Mongo. Um, and, you know, they're, they're great at operating products. Like that's what they do. They operate and scale and, and make it hassle free. But, you know, it certainly eats into the revenue of these other companies and projects. Um, and I think even, to be fair, I think Elasticsearch has gotten possibly m- more—what's the word—squeezed uh, out by other companies than, than Amazon. Like, if you look at Datadog, like Datadog has built their entire logs product on top of uh, on top of Elasticsearch, and maybe it won't won't last that way forever. But um, you know, I don't know—I don't know what the exact market cap is. But last time I checked, you know, Datadog was three x the size of Elastic. And it's you know it it's it's tough to and that's certainly not the Elasticsearch is the only reason Datadog has been successful but it's definitely tough to see I can imagine as a company that's built an open source product and scaled a company up and taken it public and watching watched uh, like other companies take their technology and fork it but then still watch yet other companies just use your open source product and just operate it you know independently and still uh, find a way to scale. A business and products around it, and, and at the end of the day, you're you're just sitting there in the middle, kind of watching all this stuff happen around you. Um, and some of that's that's the nature of open source, right? That's like you put this stuff out there because you want it to be valuable, um, and you can't control who it's valuable for. So I think you know, in in looking at that, when we were doing Arado we just kind of decided there's there's another strategy, which is keep it closed source, um, and go go a little bit more aggressively after a smaller number of, you know, higher value design partners, like start to work with maybe five companies or something like that early on and build a product that solves, solves a need um, very clearly for those companies that that are willing to pay for it. You got to have that understanding going into it. The downside though, is that, you know, you end up being uh, more heavily dependent on a smaller set of feedback. And if a particular company um, like we have, we have one company that we've been working with and it's, you know, there there are uh, some cycle times to get things deployed and, and there, there's a um, little bit of uh, just friction in, in being able to get that feedback in a closed source world. And in an open source world, the feedback almost like hits you in the face. Like you kind of get it and you have to filter it because there's so much sometimes. Um, so there's a trade off there. And I think if you are, if you're doing it intentionally, that's one thing, because I think you can choose how you manage it. So I think for us, we kind of we kind of operate in this sense where we we know that we have to go and solicit that feedback we have to build those relationships and we have to be more willing to demonstrate our value whereas with an open source product there's that expectation that um, customers will come to you already familiar with your product that they will have downloaded it and used it and read your docs and probably filed issues and you'll hear from them after they've already done a bit of evaluation and I think that that's a huge upside, but it also means that um you know, if you look at at rates of conversion in open source, like I think Influx probably, I think on their website, they've got something like 400 or 500,000 active installs. Um, and those are, you know, we set up some code a long time ago that just phones home once every 24 hours. And so that means there are, you know, out there in the world publicly reporting where people haven't disabled monitoring, you know, almost half a million servers that just report back every single day. And of those, I don't know, well under 1% have become, you know, monetizable customers for InfluxDB and that's, you know, enterprise and cloud. So I would say it's probably closer to a 10th of a percent, especially given that there are instances out there that we don't know about because they're firewalled or have had that monitoring disabled. So, you know, that just means that there's this huge sea of users that you have no real way of connecting with may never be able to get, get money from, but you know, are potentially out there. May may maybe they do give you feedback and they still don't intend to buy anything. Um, but it's um it's much harder because there's just so many more people that are gonna be using your product and you you just may never be able to get get value from them. Um but that's part of the trade off. And I think that's it's yeah. it's really I, I don't I don't wanna come on this and, and try and say that one way is right and one way is wrong. They they both are their their own different kind of difficult. And I think if you approach them Intentionally and I think you really decide that one is that that choosing either one is a strategy and you you like let that strategy sort of unfold Um, I think I think either one can work, but I think you do Kind of in hindsight from the inflex db days is you do need to try and be Relatively clear about what the strategy is Before you get too far down the road because I think for us like I said I think we we sort of let it just happen, you know building the product out in the open um, without really having that strategy. And it becomes harder the longer you wait to uh, solidify whatever you need to put in place for that strategy to work.
0: Awesome. Well, we wanted to close out with one um, last question around advice that you'd have for project owners that are thinking about turning their project into a company.
1: Yeah. Um, so I would say, let's see. If, you're gonna, if you have an open source project that's relatively successful, Um, you know, talk to your users, like find, find the thing that you think you can, can keep building that's valuable. If they're using your product now, they almost always have some sort of idea for where it can go. So kind of get, get that sense. I think it'll help you, you know, if you're trying to get into a company or intending to raise, raise venture capital, I think it kind of helps you see where the product can go. Um, I think the other part of it is, you know, just stay stay visible, whether it's blogging or just kind of like talking about releases. I think, I think having like a consistent release cadence um, is really important for, for users and just being able to see like release notes and knowing what's happening and feeling like it's um, it's something that they can, can follow along with. Um, And I would say if you, if you do raise money and this is, I feel like this is getting into a whole separate can of worms, but you know, don't, don't raise more than you need. Like, I, I think I've seen a lot of times where um, I guess have a strategy for what you're going to do with that money before you raise it. Like figure out, you know, there's there's the there's the story you tell the investors, like, yes, this is for headcount, et cetera. It's a seed round. But I think really, really know what you want to accomplish with that personally. Like whether it's, you know, I want to build a cloud, cloud offering. Like what do you really need to, to, to pull that together? Um, you know, I want to build... Crazy hard feature X. What do I? Who do I need on my team to be able to build that? But have have a really clear strategy for what that next, you know, 12 to 18 months looks like. Because I would say, you know, given given the current current funding environment, if you have an open source project with you know a decent amount of traction, um, you can you can probably raise a seed round. Like that's that that's not as hard as it was five or 10 years ago. But I do think if you really want it to be successful and you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're uh, you're, you're struggling to monetize your product really just have that plan in mind because i think it'll save you a lot of pain down the road and i think it will help set you up to make some of those uh, more difficult decisions when the time comes whether it's to to cut a feature add a feature and make a feature enterprise only um, if you really have a plan going into it <laughs>